So it's been kind of a newsy day in the college football world. Some transfers, some major injuries, and obviously coming up on a college football weekend, there's a lot to talk about. I am Dan Walken from USA Today Sports and bringing in Paul Meyerberg, my colleague, to break down all of it for you. Stay with us on the Football 4 Podcast by USA Today Sports. The way we play is embarrassing. I've told you guys, it's embarrassing the way we play. And I'm the head coach of this embarrassing group of guys. So I'd really rather not have any more questions about, is it okay to lose this game? It's never okay to lose a game. And I'm going to tell you what, you hold coaches accountable, players accountable, hold the damn officials accountable. It's garbage. Print that. Tweet that. Getting ready for week four in college football, and I've got Paul Meyerberg here. Um, Paul, you know, I'm sitting here, we're recording this before the Thursday night game, which is Temple-Tulsa, that classic American Athletic Conference rivalry um, between two schools that have very, almost nothing in common. Um, And I'm sitting here thinking about the glory days of college football for me. When, like, Thursday night used to be a big freaking deal. Like, you always had a great matchup on Thursday night. And I'm almost just sad. Like, I'll watch the game just because it's going to be on. But it feels like ever since the NFL decided to do Thursday night, these matchups are just brutal. Yeah, this isn't a great one. I mean, and it wasn't even a great one if you thought these teams could be good in August. Like, this is just not a good matchup. Um, Yeah, but you're right. Like, Virginia, Florida State. What year was that? 1995? That was a weeknight. Um, it used to be ACC games. I remember big games with Matt Ryan at BC in the late in the late 2000s and so on. Um, you had a lot of Louisville on Thursday yeah, night. Yeah, the Louisville beat Florida State on Thursday night. Is that possible? In seems the rain? right. That seems right. There was a, a classic game they had against Rutgers in the Big East. That's right. Yeah, it's not like they don't get those anymore. Um I think you have a theory as to why, but it is kind of disappointing. I mean, clearly the NFL is the reason that we're no longer seeing great matchups. And why? I mean, why would you want, if you're a major conference, to put your game against, you know, a Thursday night game? Even if it's a bad Thursday night game, that's going to get more eyeballs than anything. So I can see why if you're a ACC, SEC, whatever, you don't want to play on Thursday night because you get more exposure on Saturday anyway. Well, I mean, let's face it. The Thursday night games for the teams are a pain in the ass, right? Uh, because, first of all, you have a short week of prep. Um, your kids are expected to go to class the next day. And for, like, a university to have 50,000 people come on campus on a weeknight, it's logistically hard. Like, I understand why they don't want to do it and why the Amer- it's good for the American schools to get some exposure. Now, next week, you have North Carolina at Miami, which would actually be a decent – watch if North Carolina was worth a crap. Um, but then you're back to, you know, Tulsa, Houston, uh, week seven, you've got Texas tech TCU. Not, not bad. Uh, week eight, you've got, Oh, Stanford at Arizona state. That's actually a good one. What times kick off 9 PM Eastern. Oh boy. Oh man. All right. Well, Hey, that's an improvement. You know, it's um, better. Let's see, week nine, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech. Yeah. So they, they actually do improve a little bit, but um, 
Well, I mean, I think the idea is still solid. And, and the idea is that for the sports fan, I mean, and not even just necessarily for like the diehard college football fan who listens to this, but just the regular college football fan who wants to watch, the Thursday night games don't have the same appeal because there's more competition. So I, I think the idea is still valid that just in the general sense, like Thursday night, a weeknight, football game college-wise doesn't mean as much as it used to just because it doesn't seem to mean as much as it used to yeah now we got friday people play on friday people play on tuesday and wednesday tuesday, even. Yeah, yeah starting soon all right well let's uh get into some news and actually a couple items of news just broke today um one according to a couple reports out of alabama uh, Nate Craig Myers, who was a wide receiver for Auburn, started the first three games of the year. And I think at one point was like a super high five-star recruit, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he is transferring. So you go from starting in the first three games of the year to transferring. And I have to believe this is related mostly to the new NCAA rule that allows players to transfer or I'm sorry to retain their eligibility if they play four games or less during a season so it used to be you know you had to go if, if you played part of a season you had to maybe try to get a medical red shirt or whatever but now you can play four games sit out the rest and you retain that year of eligibility you don't lose it and this is a rule that had been championed by the the coaches around the country people thought this was a great idea and now we've seen Auburn had another kid earlier this week leave I would not be surprised now that we're on week four if like Sunday and Monday we see a bunch of announcements of kids saying they're going to transfer because if they feel like they want to leave they can go find somewhere else or just sit out for the rest of the year and, and just focus on academics and they keep that year of eligibility. And I think this is sort of an unintended consequence. I, I didn't really consider this possibility, and I'm not sure the coaches who were cheering for this did either. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely right on the ladder. I mean, it's an unintended consequence, and there's no way coaches would have, like, would have treated this legislation the way they did. Strangely, it was like the one Nobody was where, against it, right? No, it was 100%. I, I, believe me, I talked to a 1,000 coaches, not one time did one person – a ever come out against it whatsoever and b i don't i don't remember and I, I think i'd remember right now if anyone even mentioned that this was a possibility but clearly this is going to be something that's going to happen and you got to again like this legislation is for the student athlete and it's a credit to them that they're able to use it in this regard because it's good i mean if you're a nate craig myers this is just an example to name the kid from today if you had decided on August 30th that you were transferring, you're going to lose this year. You just, you don't get it, you know? And also you don't, essentially you, you don't get four games of action. You don't get to keep your, you know, you, you would lose that year of eligibility because of what you're saying, which is essentially that, you know, if you transfer no matter what before graduating, you lose your season of eligibility. It's now conceivable that kids will graduate at the end of this semester and then be able to go play smart right away and not lose that season of eligibility. Does that make any sense? I think you're, you'll see it a lot with juniors because there's a lot of college juniors out there, especially if maybe they redshirted as freshmen who are on track to graduate this year. So in other words, if uh, or, or at least they could position themselves to where maybe they take some extra classes. Uh, and if you're a junior, you basically quit your football team, you stay on campus, you finish out the year. 
uh, and then you graduate and then you go somewhere in the fall and you're immediately eligible under the grad transfer rule and you have two seasons of eligibility left based on this new redshirt rule. It's exactly. really, it's really interesting. And look, I, I think this redshirt rule was done not just for student athletes. It was done for the coaches and for the teams because how many times over the years have we seen a situation where, uh, you know, a quarterback gets hurt and then the backup gets hurt and then a coach has to bring the freshman they were planning to redshirt into a game just to, you know, basically just survive mm-hmm. and they burn his redshirt, right? That happens like fairly often. Also, I think some of it is just like you bring in freshmen, you don't know if they're ready to play. Maybe it, there's a couple games where you can give a mop up time just to sort of get a feel of what it's like to be in a game. Like there were all these things that people cited as positives. And yeah, like the idea that, well, okay, what's going to happen is kids are going to just, just flat out quit three or four games into the year. I don't think that crossed anybody's mind. And I, I am anticipating, I am bracing for a bunch of transfer announcements. That's just me. Yeah. What, what's interesting to think about is that it, it does create the two year player by that kind of rule or not the rule, but just kind of the, the logic that you used before that kid will be able to graduate. And you're talking to current academic junior scholarship junior would be able to graduate at the end of this semester. Couldn't get it by the end of last spring or during the summer and then gets an extra season of eligibility, you know, and I think that's a really interesting angle here because you're so rarely seeing two year guys, Joe Burrow, when he became available was so intriguing, I think to a bunch of places because he was a two year rental and not just your normal grad transfer one year. So to add an extra year of a grad transfer, immediately eligible power five, you know, capable player as a Craig Myers would be, I think that's really, really interesting, you know, and I don't know, like you said, like what's going to happen on Monday, but it does seem to me that if you're using that idea and you're basing your college career off of that idea, how can I maximize my four years of five? Um, that's really interesting. And, and I would think that if you're looking at what's happening at Auburn and you're a kid who's maybe either buried on the depth start or not extremely happy or thinks that, you know, there's an offseason coaching change or whatever, you're not a great fit for the offense or defense. This is a chance and an opportunity. So, like you said, this is the four game mark not necessarily mean that every team will have played four games or whatever, so it could trickle into the following week if it holds. But, yeah, if it happens, you should see it on Sunday and Monday because for a lot of people it's then or not or, or never, essentially. And obviously Jalen Hurts uh, is the biggest name player that has been speculated in Can terms of transferring. I, I don't expect him to transfer, do you? No, I don't. I don't either. And I, I, and I don't expect Nick Saban to sit him. Like It seems like the plan is to give him – some sort of package or some sort of series in every game and he'll play in every game because Alabama is going to be up three or four touchdowns in most of them. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any way that Saban is not going to play him. I mean, absolutely not because it's working, you know, and not just like he has been playing at times when like the game's already been out of hand and decided, but he's not like playing this fourth quarter, handing the ball off, you know, he's actually been a part of the offense. So um, yeah, I don't expect him to transfer at all because if he wants to transfer, he can do it for a year. There's tape on him. He can go start for a year. It's fine. He's good. You know, I just don't think that he's going to he's gonna take advantage of that rule. I, I don't see it, and certainly Saban's not going to sit him. All right, let's move on to the other big news item of the day, which is Nick Bosa, the outstanding defensive end for Ohio State, is out indefinitely. Ohio State announced 
that he had surgery on what they called a core muscle injury. That seems like probably an intentionally vague term. Uh, it's That is being interpreted by a lot of people as possibly a sports hernia or some type of hernia uh, because that is the type of common core muscle injury that uh, would require surgery. If that's what it is, I would say there's a chance he could play. He could come back. Uh, it's it's kind of a four to six week recovery. But then again, you know, you try to come back. You're not a hundred percent. He's obviously a guy who could be looking at a top ten draft position. Doesn't need to play anymore. I would say that the news of this injury, just given the very little information we have, puts at least the possibility in play that he is he is not going to be on the field wearing an Ohio State uniform ever again. Um, how big of a loss is that for Ohio State? I guess that's a possibility. I, don't, I didn't really think about that. My thought was that if he came back during the regular season, he'd just be a limited player. And maybe if he's healthy by January, that'd be a big deal. You know, so who knows? Again, we don't know the situation or really the severity of it. Um, as the loss itself, and we all see him play. I mean, like you said, he's a top 10 talent. Um, he's been as good as advertised this year, as disruptive as we thought he'd be. Um, but if any team can survive it, I mean, I really think it's Ohio State, you know, and, and I mean, you see the difference between a win and a loss at Penn State in two weeks. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't think this one guy would mean the difference for them. I mean, necessarily they're still extremely deep on the defensive front. So I don't think this is the reason why they wouldn't win a national championship. I think they have enough bodies. Um, so I think the big story is whether he comes back at all, like you said, because I do think they'll survive without him. As strange as that seems to say, because of how good he is, I just think Ohio state is that deep and they're that good that they can actually get by without a guy who's destined for 10 years in the NFL without a doubt. Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go the opposite way on this because just in watching Ohio State, their defense has been, I think, a bit susceptible to big plays. Like, people are able to throw the ball on them, and you need a guy like a Nick Bosa to be able to, to create some pressure. I mean, you saw in that TCU game where TCU was kind of back up, or they, they were kind of controlling things, and it felt to me at least at, at that point in the game like they had kind of slowed down Ohio State's offense, and it, and it was really going to be up to the defense of Ohio State to kind of turn the game around, and that's what Nick Bosa did. I mean, just absolutely comes off the edge, creates havoc, creates a fumble in the end zone, defensive touchdown, and totally changes the complexion of that game. And if you don't have that and if in your Ohio State, I th- I do think that could be the difference between a win and a loss at, at Penn State or somewhere else. Yeah, you're right. Like at Penn State, as I'm thinking about it, at Penn State he's a difference maker, and that's like a moment that's Penn State season. So in a, in a, in effect, like you're saying, and I wasn't like trying to make like like say like oh it's not a big deal. Clearly it's a big deal. He's he's a hell of a talent. I'm just thinking about the big picture for Ohio State. When you play at Tulane, uh, you still play Indiana, you still play Maryland. You play the Big Ten West, which is which is just trash. Like I just don't see Nick Bosa being the be all end all for a team that can still win the Big Ten title without him. Like Penn State to me is the one team you look at and you're like, well crap. Uh, Trace McSorley could do something tonight because maybe they won't be able to get at him, you know, that easily with four guys. 
I mean, that's the only thing. It's like an individual game. But in the big picture, I just think Ohio State's too good. I mean, if they lose Bosa, fine. What, they're going to lose to Purdue because they don't have Nick Bosa? They're going to beat Purdue like a drum, with or without Nick Bosa. So as great as he is, they just seem like we're going to talk about it today. There are a couple teams in the country that are really, really, really good. And then there's everyone else. And I think Ohio State's in that really, really good category. And if you're really, really good in college football 2018, I don't think outside of your quarterback or whomever, like your star number one guy who has the ball in his hands all the time, I just don't think any one of those four or five teams could lose one guy and really take a huge step back, as good as Bosa is. Speaking of that Tulane game this weekend, I guess we just have to briefly mention it will be Urban Meyer's first game back on the sideline. I am not expecting anything other than a rousing, standing, nauseating ovation. Um, I think Ohio State fans will feel very, very good about it. I think everyone else around the country will look at it very, very cynically. And I don't really know if it's going to be any more dramatic than that. Yeah, he'll be applauded. But I mean, it's going to be like a stand. It's going to be like a standing, like three minute ovation. I think. I, I I think it's going to be pretty. Well, he's their guy, you know. And in in our world, when you hate on our guy, you're hating on all of us. So they're going to rally around him as they have since the beginning. And, you know, and they'll beat Tulane by 60, you know, and all will be right with the world. I, I just don't think if we're expecting anything different from anybody, I mean, on anything essentially right now, then I think you're probably barking up the wrong tree because he will be applauded. No doubt about it. All right, let's move on to the games this weekend. There are not a lot of quote-unquote big games on paper second week in a row on that but yeah way. i think i'd call last week the same thing and that's fine it's september but at the same time it would be nice to have a marquee game i'm not even i mean lsu auburn to me was a marquee game because the brand's involved it was a really good game and i think this week is this week even worse yes right yeah yeah i mean look this oh, week, yeah for sure this week you've only got a couple games that are really intriguing uh one i don't know that it will turn out to be intriguing but just from a storyline standpoint you've got alabama hosting texas a&m and there's two things that make it interesting one is just the whole jimbo fisher nick saban angle two this will be the narrative game because it will determine how people think about Alabama vis-a-vis Clemson, given that Clemson did uh, was hanging on by its fingernails at the end to beat Texas A&M. And I am just guessing that after this game is over, people will just be resigned to the idea that Alabama is that much better than everybody else. Yeah, you know, I, I laugh because I hadn't, I swear I hadn't thought about that. And you're totally right. That's exactly what's going to happen. Alabama's going to destroy Texas A&M. They're going to beat the hell out of them. And everyone is just going to say, well, it's over. And you know what? It might be. We don't know yet. But I would hesitate. I just want to tell people, just because Alabama's going to win by 40, that doesn't mean they're going to beat Clemson in December or January. I mean, they probably will. But let's not read too much into one game. You know what I mean? I think Alabama, by the way, is going to win by 40. Yeah, I don't know about by 40. 40, that's an an (laughs) over-exaggeration. 40 in, in how it feels. It's going to feel like 40. It's going to be one of those 35-13 games that feels like 40. Yeah, and my guess is the sort of, you know, between two defenders, 
um, you know, moving sideways passes that Kellen Mond <laughs> fit into six inch windows against Clemson are, are not going to be completed against Alabama. That's just my guess. So. I don't think so either. But AM is pretty good. And oh, no. You look, know what? Like, and this is also a well. nice moment for AM. Like, it's one of those comforting, nice moments that these types of programs like AM and, and obviously Alabama, but AM as well, really never have that often. It's kind of like a gimme year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Clemson, like Aggies lost to Clemson, and rightfully so. Like in a sane world, this is how we'd always react, we being the Aggies fan base, if it was standing in for them. Like if you lose by two to Clemson in your first year under Jimbo, you just like throw a parade. That's a hell of a moment. And I think the fan base reacted that way. So just going to Alabama, knowing about the recent history of this rivalry, if you want to call it that, if they just hang with Alabama for like three quarters, even if they lose 31-20, that's another win. And I think yeah, that'd be a good moment. Victory. Yeah. yeah, and I know they hate that word, but that's, that's another good moment is. for Jimbo. Yeah. yeah, it's a good moment for Jimbo in that, in that program. So we'll see if they can pull it off. But it does sort of bring back this Alabama discussion. And, you know, maybe I, 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 I'm of two minds on it. One side of me says, yes, they have unlocked the one factor that has been missing that allows – everybody on that team to reach their potential, which is the quarterback position. And it has totally changed everything. And, uh, you know, I saw lines today that I think Brett McMurphy put out from one of the books, books in Vegas that basically had Alabama as a double digit favorite in a national championship game over everybody they could possibly <laughs> play. Right. Um, but the other side of me says, okay, yeah, they, they really are this good, but, are they really going to get that much better while we know some of these other teams are, are going to improve? I, Clemson has been, frankly, not very good, in my opinion, but they're going to get better. They should get better. Um, Georgia should get better because they're pretty green up front on defense. Now, look, there's not many teams, I think, that, that will be able to beat Alabama in a playoff scenario. Um, it may we, we may just be talking about you know two or three, um, but I do think the gap will narrow a little bit, don't you? Yeah, I agree with you that I think Georgia and Clemson will get better. I think Clemson will get better because I think they're going to settle on Lawrence at some point. I think that's going to make them better. Um, but here's the thing about Alabama through three weeks: a like we know Louisville's pretty average. Okay, um, we know A and M is. Oh, we don't I haven't played A and M. They played. Um, why am I blanking? Uh, Ole Miss. We know Ole Miss is, again, average. They're a six or seven win football team. But I can't help but think that, like, Alabama's floor is, like, a foot from its ceiling. You know, and I, either they've unleashed the contra code for, for their quarterback play, and that's going to mean that they go 15 0 and dominate everybody. But even if they do come back a bit, as they inevitably will, I still think that this team is, like, going to be ridiculously good. And I, ha- I hate being the guy who's like, hey, this could be the best team ever because that's stupid. And obviously, and I'm not doing that right now, I'm just saying that I do think that what Alabama has shown through three weeks, even if Tagovailoa is never this good again for the next nine games, clearly there's something here, you know, for Alabama. So even if they take a step back, I don't know how far that step is. And even if they do take a step back, I don't even know if that step back is good enough to be even with a good, you know, a Clemson or Georgia team that takes a step forward. And we'll find out, which is the great part. But Alabama, to me, just like, they look like they're rolling. And we'll, you know, we'll see against A&M against a little bit of a better team, but they just look like they're rolling right now on every side. 
If I may just sort of throw out a theory, um, I think it would be better for Alabama to lose a game just because historically that has been better for them. Uh, Nick Saban has never won a national championship with an undefeated team. And I could see it happening. I mean, everyone's going to point to the LSU game. I sort of... Well, I mean, LSU is, you know, they're 2-0 and and it's in Death Valley. That's the one everyone's going to point to. I would say I would say Mississippi State is the team with the best chance to beat them. That's Miss- the scary team because they play the style of football. And I know that it's a new age and a new era, but they have an offensive style that you're right. I think they give Alabama problems. Like, hey, but, have you but, watched Mississippi State yet? Yes. I mean, they are crazy physical. Extremely. And also what they're able to do, and it's not like Jomar has reinventing the wheel, but they are getting the ball into space with the guys on their team who like nobody, rec- and this is obviously an, an exaggeration, hyperbole, but very few people recruited at a high level who fit his scheme. It's almost remarkable to me just looking at these games. And I saw Kansas State in particular. These are like, it's like they've been playing the system their whole life. And I know maybe it's like I'm not an X's nose guy. I don't know how much different it is than Mullen, like in spacing or formation or necessarily even tempo, but it just clicks and it works. So Mississippi State's scary to me. And I do think that they're going to be probably even a little bit better than guys like you and I thought. I think both of us had them in our top 25 to start the year. I think Mississippi State's like maybe ends up second in the West, which wasn't that crazy at the beginning of the year, but still seems like that could be, they could get there, seriously, if they keep this up. Well, they've got a bunch of pros on defense. I mean, they just do, right? And that is going to give them a chance to win every game. And it's um, they've been impressive. They they have, I think, more of a test this week at Kentucky. Uh, but I think they passed that test. And I I don't know how good Kentucky is, but uh, that that's actually one of the better games of the weekend because you know Kentucky's coming off this uh, this high, this love fest. Uh, Benny Snell has been really, really good at running back. Uh, I got to give Mark Stoops some credit. I mean, he's done a really good job there. And I thought that Florida game, f- let's face it, they should have beaten Florida a couple times before already in the last couple years. But that, that to me was sort of the one that validated that a lot of the things he's been doing to get them in a better position program-wise are, are finally uh, paying off. So, and it's I know you've, think- you've, you've, you've written a lot about them. Yeah, and it's funny to think about Stoops, like, outlasting a bunch of dudes. You know what I mean? Like, outlasting a Florida coach, outlasting Steve Spurrier, outlasting Butch Jones. You know what I mean? And he's – I don't like, the ceiling of Kentucky is obviously not that high. You know what I mean? If they go 9-4 and four with a bowl win, that's, like – that's probably the cap. And that's no disrespect to the program. That's just who they are. But, um, yeah, I give them a lot of credit. You know, and it, it was hard, hard going. And then when he got to a point where they were getting into bowl games every year, like Rich Brooks, people wanted more. So we'll see if it keeps up. I, I don't really know what to think about this team. Like you said, in particular, I don't know how good they are. But in that division, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they beat everybody except for Georgia. You know, it could happen. You know, what's funny is I think Butch Jones and Mark Stoops were hired the same year. I'm pretty sure that's the case. And... I think it was in the middle of the second year, I sent out a tweet basically saying, you know, looking at it, Mark Stoops may be a little further ahead than what Butch Jones is right now, as of right now. And then, of course, it went the other way, like, the next year. And 
I got that tweet sent back to me by Tennessee fans like 60,000 times. Like they just threw it back in my face. Old takes exposed style. But actually, <laughs> but actually at the end of the day, I mean, it, it was true. Yep, I mean, that for sure. You're seeing it right now. You've got, you've got Kentucky playing really good football and you've got Tennessee playing Florida in a game that, um, used to be the best rivalry in the SEC. And now, I mean, it's essentially the equivalent of Minnesota Purdue. It's not a meaningful game, Dan, on Saturday. That game is not meaningful. No. It is to the fans, but it's not meaningful. Uh, the other big game I think a lot of people are going to be interested in watching is Stanford, Oregon. Now, I have watched both of those teams play this year. I think Oregon's in, going in the right direction as a program. I mean, you look at the recruiting those guys are doing. It's phenomenal. But I think their defense right now, this year, is not particularly good. And I expect Stanford to win authoritatively uh, hmm. in Outson Stadium. That's interesting. Um, I think I picked Stanford. I mean, I know I picked Stanford. I don't know how I feel about the game. But authoritatively, would be would be impressive by Stanford. Yeah, Oregon's a, Oregon's a good team. They're a good team. They're going to score a whole ton of points. Um, I haven't seen them play yet. I've seen Stanford. I think Stanford is pretty typical Stanford. You know, I think they're pretty pretty standard. I could see them getting a New Year's Six Bowl right now without you know doing that with somewhat ease just because I think they're going to do pretty well against their schedule. But um, Oregon is probably properly ranked. I think they'll lose to Stanford. They're a team that could go eight and four, nine and three. And I think Stanford is not a national title contender. I think we're going to talk about this, but they, I have them in my second tier of that six to 15 range of teams. And if that's the case, I do think they win by 10 or 14. Nebraska goes to Michigan, and I want to talk about this game because Michigan is an 18-point favorite. Um, people have given – I don't want to say they've given Scott Frost crap, but he has been sort of lumped in with Chad Morris at Arkansas, Willie Taggart at Florida State, Chip Kelly at UCLA is bad as horrible start. And while I, it is true they are 0-2 and that was a very disappointing loss to Troy, I mean, they played two games that were – last possession games, the Colorado loss is not a bad loss. And while the Troy loss is disappointing, I think Troy could have gone on the road last weekend and beaten maybe, you know, 20 power five teams. Like, yeah. I don't oh, think yeah. it was Troy's really good. I don't think it was particularly, I don't think it's been a disaster the way some people have painted it. Yeah. I think they'll cover this weekend. I, Nebraska to me is a team that's like one moment away from it, like clicking. You know what I mean? As a team, as a program, as an offense, I think they're like, it's just a moment. And I think they're close. You know, like you said, it's two close games to start his tenure with a true freshman QB, uh, both games late, both games tight. If they play Akron in the opener, which got postponed, I mean, A, maybe they lose to Akron. But on the other hand, maybe they beat Akron, they get some momentum, they're a little more experienced going into Colorado, and it's a different situation. But not making excuses for Frost because he's a big man, but I do think that Nebraska is pretty close. Not close to like being good enough to beat Wisconsin, but they're like close to being a whole lot better than their record suggests right now. So I don't think they beat Michigan because, I mean, they're 18-point dogs for a favorite, but, you know, I do think that people need to be patient with Frost because he's going to get it done. Um, no one wants to be 0-2, but I do think that there are enough signs that you see things that, that give you some hope if you're a Nebraska fan, for what they're going to become at some point, though probably not on Saturday. The other high-profile game in the Big Ten 
is actually to me the one where I think perception of the teams in the preseason is still kind of impacting things, at least from a betting perspective. And that is Wisconsin at Iowa. Wisconsin is a three-point favorite. I think that is totally based on preseason. If you have watched those teams play, and again, who knows what will happen. It's Every Saturday is a different story. But Iowa is freaking good, and they stopped the run. They have snuffed out everybody they've played this year so far. If they stop the run against Wisconsin, then they're going to win at home. I, I just I think that's wrong team favored. Mm, interesting. I look like I'm glad you talked about Iowa because I thought I was like the only person who was really high on Iowa right now. I think they're a really good football team. They are. You know? They're playing I, really well. They're yeah, good. they are. I, I really think so. Um, I have in my top 25. I think they're that good. I think they'll end the year in the top 25. Um, I've still picked Wisconsin because I do think Wisconsin's a whole lot better than they've showed in three games, and certainly better than they showed against BYU. My my, I don't know if you call it a concern, but my wonder is. For a program that, A, doesn't lose very much, and A, hasn't lost in the regular season very much the last couple of years, um, and is always so medium and so like even and focused and never too high and never too low, how do they respond to a loss? You know, the kind of loss that is bad enough where it really cuts down their roads to get into the playoff, which all offseason when I visited them, that's what they talked about. Winning a Big Ten, making the college football playoff. You know, so I don't know how they'll respond because I haven't seen it. But I'd like to see Wisconsin come out and beat a really good Iowa team because, for me, if you do that, it makes me think BYU was an aberration or maybe something that needed to happen for them because they won however many games in a row or however many out of 20 since uh, not including that loss to Ohio State. Well, so. that that is possible, that, that kind of theory that they kind of needed to get punched in the face a little bit. But let me just give you this, okay? Iowa two weeks ago played Iowa State. And I have a lot of regard for Iowa State and Matt Campbell and what those guys do. Iowa held them to 188 total yards and 19 rushing yards on 25 attempts. Yeah. And then Iowa State turns around and plays Oklahoma. And in that game, they scored 27 points and they ran for, they only ran for 87, but they had 447 yards. So they go from 188 one week against Iowa to 447 against Oklahoma. I think that tells me that Iowa's defense is just really good. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, and this is like kind of going to be a traditional throwback kind of game. So I'm looking forward to it because I don't think we're going to see two teams in the thirties on Saturday night. You know, I think we'll see obviously a low scoring, a lot of pressure on the quarterback, fewest amount of turnovers wins. Um, I will say for Wisconsin, that offensive line and Jonathan Taylor is a different kind of matchup for Iowa. So if they can hold up, like you said, against Iowa, against Wisconsin and hold Taylor to 65 or even 80 yards and hold that offense under four yards a carry and they win the game. I mean, people start better start paying attention because clearly that's the best team in the West. And that's the team that's going to give Ohio state maybe a challenge. Who knows? Early December. I'm just giving Ohio state the East, by the way, which I've done like twice on this podcast already, but Ohio state or Penn state or Michigan or Michigan State, a game in early December. All right, a few more games to talk about here before we wrap up. Um, Texas hosts TCU. TCU looked, I thought, pretty good against Ohio State. They made a couple of mistakes in the third quarter that really kind of 
change the whole com- complexion of that game, but they're very fast. Um, it's a Gary Patterson team, and you know what you're going to get. And they have they have really done well in recent years against Texas. That's kind of been a one-sided matchup. Um, are we buying Texas as what they were against USC? Um, that That is a team that is maybe going to live up to what we thought of them in the preseason, or are we still have the, do we still have the Maryland debacle at the front of mind in just in terms of figuring out what that team is? Yeah, I, I still have the Maryland debacle in my head to you. Oh, which year are we talking about this year or last year? This year, um, this year. Um, yeah. I mean, but still at the same time, like baby steps for Tom Herman, like we're 16 games in. I don't know why, like we're expecting this team to be so good. Like, I just thought beating USC on Saturday night was, like, progress. You know, and progress is great. Like, that's fantastic. Progress. It was it was progress, but it said a lot about how bad USC is. Sure, was. no doubt, no doubt. And USC is, like, is bad. They're bad. Um, but it was progress. It was, like, a nice step forward. I just, like, that's, like you said, playing USC and then playing TCU are going to be two different things, you know. And uh, I think it's safe to say that Gary Patterson – uh, has Texas's number at this point because there's four in a row. I don't think any of them have been closer than 17 points, five of six. Um, it's almost as if when the Texas job became available, he didn't get it. Gary Patterson took that very, uh, didn't take that well. He took that very personally. Georgia goes to Missouri. It's a noon game on Saturday. Um, I will be very interested to see Drew Locke play against that defense uh hey Derek Dooley so far you can't knock what what uh, that offense has done for Missouri there was a lot of questions about Derek Dooley as an offensive coordinator because it's really something he'd never done before uh but you know they go 51 points in the opener they smash Wyoming 40 to 13 and then they score 40 at Purdue and and put together a drive at the end for the game-winning field goal um this is obviously a different animal. Georgia's defense is like nothing they've they faced. Uh, but, you know, if you watch the game last year in Athens, Locke had a little bit of success uh, against Georgia. So I actually will be very interested to see this game. I think Georgia's the real deal. But, you know, people close to that program, and I don't know if they're just kind of downplaying him because they don't want to crank up the pressure. But, but people close to that program – have consistently told me since the season began, Hey, we're not as good as you think. We're not as good as you think. Um, but if they go to Missouri and win by, you know, 21 points, then I I don't know how you can deny that narrative. Yeah. If they go out and take care of it, of Missouri. And like you said, win by a couple touchdowns, that's, that's, you know, you can say what you want, but they're looking the part if they do that. Um, for Drew Locke, this is like a million dollar game, right? I mean, this is like a draft Maybe, stock yeah. game. Oh yeah, he look, he could be QB one in the draft, right? He could be, probably but, like, won't, but he could be. I think NFL teams are just like us. I mean, no, they're not actually like us. They're horrible, but they are like us in the fact that like we we I want to see Drew Locke perform at a high level, and he did actually in that Georgia game last year. I think he was at, he had like ten yards in the attempt, three or four touchdowns. He was he was pretty good. I want to see Drew Locke and Missouri play really well and beat a really good team because we haven't seen it. So that's a challenge. You know, Georgia is a different kind of animal than Purdue, like you said, but if he goes out and he's 25 of 40 for 280 and three touchdowns and a pick, I mean, 
that's a million dollar game right there. And it might even mean a Missouri win. But uh, you know, Georgia's going to have to score points. I think let's just leave it at that. I don't think they're going to shut down Missouri entirely because they didn't do it last year. And then we end the podcast the way we will all end the night Saturday with the Pac-12 after dark game. Herm Edwards taking Arizona State to Washington. Now, the Herm phenomenon has cooled off a little bit <laughs> since uh, the Sun Devils went to San Diego State and lost, just as I predicted they would do. Uh, but, you know, Washington, I just am... I, I want to buy into them so bad. I want to buy into them. And then I watch them play, and I, I'm just always disappointed. <laughs> so Jake, you're disappointed by Utah, by that game? Yeah, I mean, like Jake Browning just... He, he has some moments. He, he has, has some moments, for he, sure. And he had some for Utah. There were some moments in that game. He's not as He's just not as good as you want him to be, as you think he should be. He's just not. Like, he's fine, but he's not as good as you want him to be. You know what he is? Like, he's a college football quarterback. Like, he's not like – we were, like, talking about Drew Locke, and Drew Locke's going to be a millionaire when he when he plays pro. Jake Browning's just, like, a really good college quarterback. He's kind of like JT Barrett. He's just like, well, take it or leave it. Like, four-year starter, Pac-12 record holder, Washington record holder, most prolific passer in school history. He's going to have a stupid moment, but he's still pretty good. That's kind of Jake Browning. But I do think Washington rolls against Arizona State. Contrast in styles, by the way, uh, on the field – and on the sidelines. Explain. Explain the contrast on the sidelines. I would think that Chris Peterson, top button, buttoned, uh, hat, low, pants, starched, pressed, fresh. Oh, yeah. There's uh, not a wrinkle. Right. Yeah. There's not a wrinkle in any piece of clothing that he's then, worn since 1991. <laughs> and then Herm Edwards across the sideline, who has been so much fun and so great for college football. But, like, personality-wise, I mean, we all have seen him on TV, you know. Herm Edwards is a little bit different than Chris Peterson. So, nice contrast there between two guys who seem to get along by all accounts, but clearly uh, on the opposite ends of the, of the line there in terms of their personality, for sure. Herm is a little more open than Chris Peterson. Let me put it this way. In terms of who's a better quote, there's no contest. Sure, sure. Who's a better coach? Uh, I think Chris Peterson's a better Chris coach. Peterson. Hey, but Arizona State, um, it's been fun, and it'll keep being fun, and that's great. Fun is great for college football, you know. Let me can, before we go. Can I ask you about one more game? Yeah. Will Kansas beat Baylor? Ooh. Kansas has won two games in a row for the Ooh. first time since October of two thousand. They're looking feisty. That was a decade ago. So we're in uncharted territory. I believe Obama was president then he was in his first year uh we were all were the recession had hit fully it were dark times in this country and now kansas is <laughs> back and uh and our country is okay uh, but kansas is back two in a row and they could beat baylor they really could because baylor hasn't been able to stop the run and kansas can do one thing and that's run the football as they've shown through three games or through their past two games it's an interesting game they're not going to get blown out i don't think so think about this for a second Kansas hires Jeff Long as the athletic director, essentially anticipating that they're going to have to fire their football coach and that Jeff Long is going to be the person to make that hire, as opposed to Shan Zanger, who had hired both Charlie Weiss and David Beatty, who was like one in 60 or something like that. Uh, 
in his first few years. What if Kansas wins, say, five games? That's crazy. That's it, You know what? I don't know how you could look at that and say that's not progress. You know what I mean? Don't I you feel, have to I keep feel, him? I don't, I don't know if you could. You'd say we really appreciate all the work you put in and we're going to let someone else take – you don't have to, but I think it would be really hard not to um, for Kansas, like not to keep him at five wins, which, which would be something. I kind of envision like KU meeting after the Nichols game – in the locker room, like in major league and Jeff Long's there and they're peeling pieces off, you know, go out and win the whole damn thing kind of thing for KU. That's kind of how I picture it because I'm childish, but I do think that Baylor like, conceivably could win four games. Maybe it's conceivable, but if they get the five, all bets are off. For well, Jeff Long. I mean, if we're sitting here saying that they have a chance to beat Baylor and, and they do, then that's, that's three and one, right? So at that point, four wins is, Awfully close. Now, is there anyone else in the Big 12 that they could realistically beat? Um, I don't. I don't know. I mean, we're, let me let me go through their schedule here. I will Texas f- Tech, maybe, maybe. I, I I would not favor them to beat Texas Tech. That was a big win for Texas Tech last weekend against yeah, Houston. Huge. Um, they can beat Texas because they've done it before. So let's just say that like they, they can beat Texas. They could beat Kansas State. Yeah. They get Iowa State at home. I don't think they would win that game, but I mean, it's a possibility. You pull they an could upset get five somewhere. Wins. You never know. All right. Well, good luck, Rock Chalk Jayhawk, as we uh, close things out. And if you like the podcast, go to iTunes, subscribe, hit that subscribe button. It takes five seconds. Give us a five star rating. We will love you forever if you do that. Uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Audio Boom, we're everywhere. And we will talk to you next week, Paul. Uh, Thanks for coming in. Yeah, man. Do it again soon. All right. For Paul Meyerberg, I am Dan Wolkin, the Football 4 Podcast, brought to you by USA Today Sports. Talk to you guys next week.